Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. there, I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of CATRA, the Canadian Old-Time Radio Alliance, and I'd like to welcome you to this edition of Canadians in Old-Time Radio. We have three selections for you tonight. The first from our Made in Canada file is an episode from Mystery Theatre called Ghost Town Hermit. is the time to tell of the unaccountable, of apparitions by night and phantoms in shadows. Time to tell strange tales of fantasy and the supernatural. Mystery Theater presents The Ghost Town Hermit by Alan King. I went up to Colville that summer to get material for some feature articles on British Columbia ghost towns. You've heard of those dead mining towns in the northern part of the province. I found a story there, but I never wrote it. I have a certain reputation on the Vancouver paper I worked on, and I wanted to keep it. I'd been ill the winter before, and Frank Strait, my editor, was being very nice about it. You could do with a series of articles for the magazine section on ghost towns. Why don't you and Larry take a month up there? Six weeks, if you like. You need a holiday, and I need a series of features. I'd like to, Frank, but I'm all right, you know a couple of weeks will be all right. Nonsense, Ken. You look like the back end of a hard winter. You're going to take a long holiday and write me some stories. And bring yourself up. Give me the will is just looking at you. Okay, Frank. I'll go. Lois will be tickled, I know. Uh, is there anything special you have in mind? Oh, no. Get into some of the lesser-known towns. Barkerville's been dumped there. Try some of the others. Colville, for instance. Murder there once. One of two brothers. Other one stayed on. Hermit. Don't know whether he's still there. Where is the place? Up near Burridge, I think. You'll find it. Maybe nothing in the story, and the place may have disappeared by now. I'll go and see anyway. Sure. Leave whenever you want to, Ken, and don't come back till you look more human. Frank was right about Colville. In the gold rush days, there'd been a murder there. And though the murderer was never caught, there seemed to be a certain Bella Sawyer mixed up in a tool. She was a girl in a traveling stage show, apparently. Made a tour of those boom towns every few months. And it certainly looked promising, and we decided to make Colville our first point of investigation. We drove leisurely. I was recuperating fast and wanted to lope a bit. It was nearly a week before we turned into Burridge, where I thought I'd better try fishing for information about Colville. I got most bites from Sam Bryden, who ran the general store. Twenty-five miles north of here, Mr. Bly. The ghost town. The real thing. 
Yeah, been up there once. Just like you see in the movies. One street, buildings falling apart. False fronts are still there. Some of them. Saloon, bank, opera house. Opera house? Yes, ma'am. All them ghost towns have their opera houses. Well, it's not much, you know. They call them opera houses, though. Uh-huh. Stage shows used to come around in those days. Did you ever hear of a girl called Bella Sawyer? Uh, I don't recall. She was in one of those shows, I believe. Oh, Danny, you know. Danny? Who's he? The only inhabitant of Colville. You mean there's still somebody living there? Sure. Danny Quayle. But what does he do? I mean, how does he live? Just gets along, I guess. And, uh, peculiar, you might say. Comes down here about once or two months, buys some supplies. How does he pay for it? Gold. Pans enough to buy what he needs. Been there ever since the gold rush days. I wonder why he stayed on. Well, never asked him. His brother was uh, murdered there, you know. Marty Quayle. About 50 years ago it was. I've heard the story two or three different ways. Some say it was... Wait now. Did you say Bella Sawyer? Yes. That was the name. I remember them telling me when I first came here. I was here only about 50 years. They said this Marty Quayle was kind of stuck on this girl Sally... Uh, Bella Sawyer. And he was murdered. Didn't they catch the murderer? Ever? Nope. Some figured it was one fellow, some figured it was another. Uh-huh. A lot of people got themselves killed in them days. Folks wasn't too particular. But now I think of it, some of them thought maybe Danny Quayle killed his brother. Killed his brother? Yeah. Well, he wouldn't have stayed on surely if he did. Mm, he wouldn't think so. What does Danny talk about when he comes down for supplies? Oh, usually he don't talk about nothing at all. Once in a while, he goes on about making a strike, stuff like that. Uh, I don't pay no attention. All them old sourdoughs talk like that. Yes, I know. Yeah. The one thing I've never been able to figure out, though. What's that? Candles. Always buy candles. But it was have a light, I suppose. Well, what's so strange about that? No. Got an oil lamp in his cabin. I know that. Because he buys oil. There's a lot of candles. By the dozen, in fact. Well, now, that is strange, in fact. Yeah. I got uh, kind of curious one day, and I asked him. What did he say? He said, and I remember his very words, he said, you wouldn't want her to sing in the dark, would you? Her? What did he mean? Now, search me, ma'am. He wouldn't say no more. I never asked him again. I picked up one or two more scraps of information, but it was hard. Nobody was left alive in Burridge who remembered those days over 50 years ago when the gold fever was at its height. There were some who had heard stories, though. I learned a little about the Quayle brothers. They were totally unlike. Marty, the murdered one. Dark, good-looking, had away with women, they said. Danny, plodding, slow-talking, hard-working. I guess Danny did most of the work on the brothers' claim. And there were hints of a flashing romance between Marty and Bella Sawyer. And then Marty was strangled, and Bella never came back to Colville. Strangled. That puzzled me. In those violent days, men killed with a knife or a gun. Strangling wasn't in the picture. Now there was nothing more that I could get in Burridge, and so we bought some supplies and headed north for Colville.
what Sam said. Like a movie set. The sun. Can't believe there's anything alive here. There are no birds even. It's like a town that's waiting for the end of the world. I don't like it very much. There's nothing to be afraid of, dear. The dead can't hurt you. Something out of character. Out of balance. I don't know what it is. What do you mean? It's hot. sunny. Lovely summer day, and yet... Something cold and dead about all this. It's hot, certainly. You want to walk along and have a look at these? All right. Look at the fronts of these buildings. Yes. Trying to be impressive. Nothing behind them. What was this? Can you tell? Something left of a name up there. Look. O. O. A. <laughs> Saloon. Oh, yeah. There'll be plenty of those. And there's the bank next door. You see it? I wonder if they've forgotten left the money in there. You want to go in and see? Oh, not me. Probably fall through the floor. If there's a floor left. Mm. Oh, Ken, look. What? Over there, the opera house. Why, George, so it is. The Bella Sawyer used to come and sing. Did you notice something about it? Notice what? Well, it looks taken care of. Oh, no. It's pretty dilapidated to me. I know, but the letters in the name are much clearer than any others in the street. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Almost as if someone had... Come on. Let's go and have a look. All right. Bad shape after all. Oh, but look at the name. Somebody has tried to do something with it. Uh-huh. It's been painted since, uh, not long after anything else around here was painted. Mm. I'd like to have a look inside. Come on. Mm-hmm. Just as I thought. Oh. Pretty well gone. A few benches, you see? Well, bought. Look at the cobwebs. Look at how thick they are. What's that? What? Over there. Scrap of an old poster. Look, look. Oh, yes. Badly torn. Headed mm. by the celebrated and beautiful Miss... Oh, Dad. It'd be torn there. Do you think it was Bella Sawyer? I don't know. It all depends on... Oh! It wasn't Bella. I never came back. That was the sudden scream made my heart pound against my ribs. We whirled around from the poster holding on to each other. And there in front of us. No doubt about it. As Danny Quayle. He was an old, old man. His eyes pale blue. His face seamed and weathered. His hair and beard a streaky white, all straggling. There was something on his head that had once been a hat. His clothes were just a covering, patched till they had no shape or resemblance to what they had been. What he wore on his feet told us why we failed to hear him approach. For instead of shoes, his feet were wrapped in old cloth and sacking. He stood there, apparently not very surprised. One hand held half-raised to point the torn poster. No, I never came back. Least ways not till... till that other time. You, uh... 
You are Danny Quayle? Huh? I say, you must be Danny Quayle. Yeah. You strangers in town, ain't you? That's right. You know? I just came up to Colville to, uh, uh to look around. Mm. Trying to get her fixed up? Get what fixed up, sir? What's the house? have to do it myself. Nobody else will give me a hand. But you live here all alone, don't you? There's nobody to help you. I ain't alone. No, sir. Not alone. Not alone. Easy. It's all right, Louis. It's a little uh, you know. Danny. Yeah? Danny, uh, we'd like to talk to you. We want you to tell us something about Colville. The old days, you know. Yeah? Could we, uh, go up to your cabin? Well, I... What are you looking for? It's all right, Danny. We just want you to tell us some stories about the old days when you were prospecting here. You stay away from my cabin. Well, all right. We won't go there, then. I'll tell you what. You come along to our car. We got something to eat there. Maybe you'd like a drink. How about it? He came, finally. He ate greedily, drank a little. We tried to draw him out, but his mind wandered. Patiently, I tried to work the conversation around to Marty and Bella Sawyer. He was very worried. I could tell that years ago he'd been severely questioned about the murder. I told him they were satisfied. Marty's dead. Good and dead. Didn't do no good. She came back one night. I was there. She came back looking for Marty. Every year she came back looking for him. She never found him. Tell us, sir. Tell us about that other night. The night your brother was killed. Strangled. He was strangled. They found him outside the upper house. She's seen him lying there. She's seen him. She's seen him dead. <gasps> Sorry, Liz. What happened before that, Danny? Huh? Did something happen in the opera house? He was sitting beside me. She was singing. He got up, started singing too. Singing with her. He was singing with her. Now, he won't be singing with her tonight. He won't be there. He won't be there tonight. Now, I gotta go. I gotta get things ready for her. For her? You mean she's... She don't want nobody else to do it, just me. Gotta light the candles. She can't see without the candles. Gotta get things ready. She can't see without candles. Can't see without candles. Oh, Ken. I'm scared. There's nothing to be scared of, darling. He's harmless. Just the way he talks. He believes there was all his coming here tonight. Of course he does. He was in love with her. You can see that. He's just cracked, that's all. He believes that she comes back from time to time. What was all that about candles? Hmm. Just beginning to get an idea. Yeah. i tell you what. Let's just take it easy for a while. As long as it gets dark, I think we're going to find out what the old boy's up to. Well, I don't want to be here when it's dark. No. And there's not a thing to be afraid of. There's no one else but Danny here. And he can't hurt you. I know he can't. But, but what, darling? It seems as if... 
as if there was somebody out here. You could see old Danny Quayle shuffling down the street, going noiselessly on his old rags. There was nobody else in Colville but him and the two of us. Nobody else. Lois was a brave girl that night. Her will would have taken her back to Burridge. But still she came with me down the street towards the opera house. Neither of us spoke as we slipped tensely past the dead buildings with their distorted shadows. We were within twenty paces of the opera house when Lois froze in her tracks and seized my arm with both hands. Look, there's a light. A light? Where? Look, can you see it? Good Lord, so there is. It's in the opera house. What can it be? It seems to be shining through a crack. Come on, let's find out. But Kate, it's all right. It can only be old Danny. Come on. Don't make a noise. Watch the boards. On tiptoe, we hurried to the door of the old theater, pushed aside the burlap at the door and peered in. What we saw stopped us as if we'd been struck by lightning. Across the front of the old broken-down stage were footlights. They looked like tins cut in half to make reflectors. Set in each one of them was a lighted candle. And seated on an old bench in what was once the front row was Danny Quayle. Yes. I suspected something like this when he said he had to get things ready. clapping and shouting. Two brothers sitting down front. In the eyes of one, a look of mute appeal, a lost look. In the eyes of the other, a flashing, mocking recognition of the bold smile of the woman who sang. And then, without warning, leaping to his feet, vaulting into the footlights onto the stage, and arm in arm with Bella Sawyer, joining her in a chorus of the heat of the day. For the words exchanged, perhaps, under the cover of the shouts and applause, and then the young man, flushed and triumphant, shaking his locked hands at the audience and taking his success, jumping down again to the floor, staring back into his seat, telling his brother exultantly, I'm going away with her tonight after the show. And the brother mute. And then... Look, he's getting up. What's he going to do? Shh. Watch him. Yes. He's made it. 
Ambiguous wood. It's walking towards the center. It's looking at something. You know what it is? Lois, what's the matter? Oh, on the stage. There, standing right in front of me. It's her, Ken. It's her. Lois, no, get a hold of yourself. There's nothing there. It's so I can see her. No, I'm tired. Look, she's moving towards me. Lois. Darling, now listen to me. Okay. There's nothing on that stage. You hear me? There's nothing there. Only a poor, imbecile old man. What's he doing? He's backing across the stage. Away from whatever it is. He's trying to ward something off. He's... No! Don't talk about it! Leave me alone! I'll tell you! I'll tell you! I killed him. I killed your mommy. I killed my own brother. He was running away with you last night. I loved you, Bella. He was no good. He'd have left you. I was the one that loved you, Bella. I, I strangled him. Killed him with my own hands. Had to do it that way. Had to show him. With my own hands. My own strength. Bella. Oh, no. Don't get away from it, you hold! What's he doing with his hands? He's going to his throat. He's fighting something off. Lois, come on. Come on, we've got to help him. No, 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 He rushed down to the stage, stripping over old pieces of lumber and boxes, finally reaching the footlights and climbing up around the end of it. As we got there, Danny was lying on the floor. A horrible gurgling issuing from his throat, his hands beneath his chin, twitching convulsively. We rushed over to him. I tried to tear his hands away, but I couldn't move them. And then... He's dead, Louis. He's dead. Louis! Louis, what is it? far side to where Danny had died, there was a narrow path, as clean as though it had been swept, as clean as though a trailing summer fog had brushed along it. We had no thought for anything but escape. Somehow we scrambled down from the stage, leaving Danny clear where he was, and tore blindly for the exit. In our haste, we were a moment or two finding the doorway, but in that moment, and the air was sultry and still, in that moment... An eddy of deathly cold air brushed past us, lingering on our faces and our hands. And as we held our breath, the torn burlap in the entrance swung gently out and back, as if someone had gone out from that place. It was morning before I returned to Colville, this time with a sergeant of the provincial police and a doctor. I told the sergeant I'd solved a 50-year-old murder for him. But he was little interested in that. Like the doctor, he was interested in something else entirely. You say the old man was on his knees as if something was bearing down on him. That right, Mr. Blythe? Yes, doctor. Hmm. A delusion, of course. He wasn't right in his head. Everyone knew that. And, uh, 
You say his hands were up around his throat? Yes. Very curious. Take a look at this throat, Mr. Bly. Look at the marks. That man's been strangled. That's what it sounded like last night. As if he were being strangled. Exactly. But in all my experience, sir, I've never before known a man to strangle himself. I had nothing to say. Let him think that. There were things I remembered. Things I would never forget. The cold eddy of air that brushed past us. The narrow path through the dust on the rotting stage. The shadowy figure of a woman in an old-fashioned summer frock that Lois saw crossing the stage. I wish I could convince her that it was a shadow thrown up by the guttering candles and the footlights embellished by her imagination. I wish I could convince myself. Theater 1030 has presented The Ghost Town Hermit, the first in a brief series of ghost stories and tales of the supernatural. The script was by Alan King, and the story was presented with John Scott as Ken, Peg Dixon as Lois, and Eric Clavering as Old Danny. Alfred Gallagher was heard as Frank, the newspaper editor, Douglas Master as Sam, the storekeeper, and Hugh Watson as the doctor. Sound effects were by Alex Sheraton. Technical operation, Ross Cotton. This is Bill Lauren speaking. Canadians Abroad file, we have a 1956 episode of the Giselle McKenzie show. And although you might think that Giselle was born in Quebec, she was not. She was actually born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. The United States Air Force Reserve takes pleasure in bringing you airtime starring Giselle McKenzie. The Air Force Reserve, dedicated to your defense, presents Airtime, starring Giselle McKenzie. With Skitch Henderson, his piano and orchestra, the Honey Dreamers, yours truly, Frank Gallup, and tonight's special guest, Cab Calloway. And now, meet the star of our show, Giselle McKenzie. From this moment on, you for me, dear. Only two for tea, dear, from this moment on. From this happy day, no more blue song. Only hoop-de-doo song, from this moment on. For 
Cause you've got the love I need so much Got the skin I love to touch Got the arms to hold me tight Got the sweet lips to kiss me goodnight From this moment on You and I, babe We'll be riding high, babe Every care is gone From this moment on For you've got the love I need so much Got the skin I love to touch Got the arms to hold me tight Got the sweet lips to kiss me Good night from this moment on You and I, babe We'll be riding high, babe Every care is gone From this moment on Thank you very much, nice people, and welcome to airtime. I'm as pleased as I can be that Cab Calloway will drop by later on. Right now, let's listen to one of airtime's regulars, a man with an essential report, Frank Gallup. Friends, your Air Force Reserve is going all out to enroll the qualified specialists needed to raise the strength of their flying wings to full combat readiness. Since the Air Force prefers to man its reserve units on a voluntary basis... This goal can only be achieved through the active participation of our ex-servicemen. If you're a veteran, or if any member of your family has had prior military service, talk up this message. The Air Force Reserve needs qualified men today. So veterans, visit the Air Force Reserve unit in your community and get all the facts. Thank you, Frank Gallup. Airtime continues as our maestro, Skitch Henderson, plays a number written back in the late 1800s under the title Don Gutza. Hmm. Well, this second-generation treatment makes the new title speak for itself. It says Don Gotza. Boogie Woogie Mashish. Eight to the bar, please, Skits.
Wonderful. I'd say the boys were flying from takeoff to landing. Captain Skitch Henderson of the Air Force Reserve. Oh, thank you for the billing, as always, Giselle. Thank you. And now, I'd like you to meet this young gentleman. This is Master Sergeant Salvatore Tunello, a fellow member of the Air Force Reserve. Well, I'm pleased to meet you. May I call you Sal? You sure may, Giselle. Everyone else does. All right, Sal. Let's have some vital statistics. First, where are you from? Buffalo, New York. How long have you been in the Reserve, Sal? Over ten years, Giselle. I joined in 1945 after serving with the Army Air Corps. Did you have any overseas service? Yes, I spent over a year on Tinian Island in the Pacific. Well, what is your present assignment in the Air Force Reserve? I am presently attached to the Air Inspector's Office as NCOIC. Could you break that down for us? Sure can. NCOIC means non-commissioned officer in charge. We inspect the planes of our wing before and after every flight, having them ready for takeoff at all times. Oh, I see. Well, Sal, has the Air Force helped you in any way with your civilian job? Sure it has. I learned my trade in the service, and I'm now with Greyhound Lines doing electrical and air conditioning work. Well, is this the sort of thing you did in the service? I used to be a radio and radar technician. That's pretty close to the type of work I'm doing now. Well, Sal, there's one question I always ask the boys who wear the Air Force blue, and this is it. Why did you join the Air Force Reserve? Well, Giselle, there are several reasons. One is the retirement plan, which is now in effect. This plan is both ben- is beneficial to both airmen and the officers. Mm-hmm. And I like meeting and working with my buddies in the reserves. It gives you a sort of a good feeling to know that you're helping in the defense of your country. Well, I know what you mean. A combination of personal benefits and the feeling of satisfaction that comes from knowing that what you're doing is so important. That's exactly how I feel. Well, thank you very much for being with us. Master Sergeant Sal Ternullo. It was a pleasure, Giselle. Michelle McKenzie brings us now one of today's best-selling ballads, Ivory Tower. Come down, come down from your ivory tower. Let love come into your heart. Don't love yourself. In an ivory tower Don't keep us so far apart I love you I love you Are you too far above me to hear? Come down, come down From your ivory tower You'll find true love has its charm It's cold, so cold In your ivory tower And warm, so warm in my arms Come down, come down From your ivory tower You'll find true love has its charm It's cold, so cold In your ivory tower And warm, so warm in my
Thank you. And now the Honey Dreamers are going to reach way back in their musical files and come up with the oldie but the goodie, Ragtime Cowboy Joe. Now Cowboy Joe has a voice so soft and low That they say each night he sings to sleep his cattle and his sheep He always sings ragged music to the cattle as he swings Back and forward in the saddle on a horse that a syncopated gated And there's such a funny meter to the roar of his repeater How they run when they hear the fellas come Because the western folks all know He's a highfalutin' rootin' shootin' Son of a gun from Arizona Ragtime Cowboy Joe It isn't always swing lullaby or pop He even throws in a little bit of pop do 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 Crosby have the big record on Ragtime, Cowboy Joe? I believe so, Giselle. It seems to me that Bingo cut that idea with the Andrews sisters. As I recall, it was a smash in of the course, 30s. Of course, Crosby can do no wrong. Right. Skitch, suppose you follow through with another Crosby standard. How about playing his theme, When the Blue of the Night Meets, you know what? Thank you. 
very nostalgic, Skid. Tell me, did that bring back memories, maestro? Made me very misty, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> I remember uh, toddling over to the piano to hear Harry Lillis croon oh, that come song. come on now, I toddling, <laughs> really? Toddling. What an imagination you have. I'll tell you what, Skitch, toddle back to the piano and rip off an arpeggio, and we can do another Crosby classic. Thanks for all the lovely delight I found in your embrace. I'm thankful, though I know it's ending all too soon. Memories that linger like a haunting tune. It is better to have loved you dear and lost than never to have loved at all. It is better for no matter what the cost, I held the world in sway and am. For a day and thanks again for taking me on the road to paradise. We lost our way, but still I must convey my thanks. Thank you. And now, nice people, I'd like to bring on our guest, the very talented and very smiling, Cav Calloway. Welcome to Airtime, Cam. Thank you very much, Giselle. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, of course you know Skitch. Why, sure. We're all friends. How are you skidding, Skitch? Oh, <laughs> never better, Cab. How are you feeling? Well, I feel like, um, Heidi 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 you perform was on the stage right here in New York in the recent revival of Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. Old sporting life himself. You had quite a run in that role, didn't you? Yes, it really did, Skits. You know, Porgy and Bess is the kind of a show that could run forever. It's wonderful theater. Oh, that man, Gershwin, wrote such beautiful music. And speaking of beautiful music, the number you're going to do for us has always been a favorite of mine. How about it, Cab? Are you ready? Well, I guess I'm uh, just about as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> well, while Skitch gets back to the piano, I'll just have time to make this brief announcement. Cab Calloway, aided and abetted by the Skitch Henderson Orchestra, sings as only he can that old black magic. <laughs> ¶¶ 
tells me in a spell that old black magic that you weep so well. Down the spine, same old witchcraft when your lips meet mine. The same old tingle that I feel inside. And then that I love you. Well, it's unfortunate that we couldn't get quite the full show, but I guess the Old Time Radio Research Library decided that it was better to have some of it than none of it, which I think is true. We still have a little time left, so let's hear a little bit of satire from our Made in Canada file, as only CBC broadcaster Max Ferguson could manufacture it. A politician in Canada will eventually have to know more French than a Diefenbaker or a Pearson. Which inspired Max Ferguson to create this imaginary scene. Uh, hey, come in, please. Uh, get up here as fast as I could. Oh, this nine one. I'm very glad you did, because uh, you, nobody saw you coming in, did they? Oh, I realize that uh, the necessity for subterfuge... No, I came in the back way with the car lights out. Oh, splendid, because, I, I mean, if, if the newspapers got hold of the fact that, that we, too, were being seen together here in the late hours of night in my office with our heads together, they, well, they'd make political hay out of this, and the sting would be taken out of both our campaigns. I'm well aware of that. I, I didn't even tell my closest friends I was coming over here. Well, what have you got in mind? Well, I, I've been mulling over a few things. I mean, this is the first time we've, we've each been hit independently by newspapers and public people in their speeches. But this is the first time that they anybody has dared to take a crack at both of us. I, I read that myself. <laughs> Politicians are going to have to know more French than a Diefenbaker or a Pearson. <laughs> well, well, what do you say? Well, I, I've ascertained the man's name. I've even got his phone number. He's a, he's a Mr. R.J. Where is it here? R.J. Sweet. Yeah, it didn't sound very sweet to me. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, I've got his phone number here. You want to phone him? Yeah, certainly. I'll phone the bounder and... Uh... Well, don't say who we are, because it wouldn't look good. Uh, I mean, they might think it petty of us to uh, to p- pursue them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Leave it to me. I wasn't born yesterday. And, and one other thing. Yes? Disguise your voice. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's a good idea. So he won't know... Yeah, who we are. That's right. And you give them what for, and when you run out of words, I'll take over. We'll let them know that we know a good bit more about this other language in Canada than he suspects. Yeah, indeed we do. There's the numbers, isn't it? Yes, 
Just dial it there. All right. It's about time we just call this little temporary truce in our mutual feud. Oh, indeed. Indeed, we'll stick together on this one and give him what's for. Yeah. Don't forget to disguise your voice. I don't worry about that. Hello? Yeah, you don't know who this is speaking. Yeah. Just a moment. Who is this? Yeah, just, just a moment. Disguise your voice a bit more. Really heavy disguise? Yes, sir. Yeah, you don't know eh, who this is speaking. Yeah, but you've uh, come out in Toronto with a couple of nasty remarks last night. Hello? Hello? Who is this speaking? Uh, we're just a couple of well-wishers who like to see our public figures uh, treated with the respect uh, due to their station in life. Yes, that goes for me, too. That's good to scare Thank you. Who is this speaking? There's a couple of drunks. Uh, I'll just say that... Uh, I'll just say that we're a couple of people interested in Canadian unity and uh, fair play for our public leaders. Yes, that's that's right. Look, will you identify yourself? Who who is calling? Is this you, Jack, or Fred? Oh, no, no. And here's the message: You've accused uh, both Pearson and uh, Diefenbaker of uh, not knowing too much French. Is this the gist of my talk? Who is this? Uh, let me tell you that both these men—I know them well. Who is this? I'll just say it. Uh, mother of five. That's a good shooting. And I'm for fair play. That's a shooting him for me. What is going on here, anyway? And uh, these two men that you reviled publicly. I merely said that the politicians of the future would have to know a bit more French than each of these two men. Yeah, that's that's damage enough. Now, they both speak very fluid, uh, fluent, uh, fluent French. And I want to let you know that both these men uh, speak uh, two languages very well. Uh, uh, or as they would say in French, says, <clears throat> uh, "Two les doxons, a parle, a bien, Mont. Just bien, I think. Uh, just bien. Just that's enough. Just bien. Uh, yes, hold on, just a second. Look, who is this speaking? Uh, just a moment. Uh, a little stuff here, Lester. What's the word for languages? Oh, heck, uh, let's see the languages. Uh, I believe it's lang. It's, it's, they use as, as the word for tongue and language as well. Until they do terms, parlay, bien, they do slang. Just a moment. Isn't that your minister of northern affairs? Well, yes, it is, madam. You're not you're not trying to shaft me here with a quickie turning. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sure it's a word for language. I don't like the sound of this. Who is this speaking? Now, just a minute. Well, that's, you're not sneaking in a quick plug for hey, Walter Lang. I think Lang is language. I don't know. Oh, give me that. Hello. <clears throat> As my confrere was saying, we're both deeply concerned about... Uh, the remarks you made about the two leaders of this country. I'm still fond of... Are you a couple of drunks? Uh, we indeed are not. Uh, <clears throat> I would just like to say that we are very uh, disappointed and very unhappy about this uh, uh, this uh, 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 speech of yours. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Well, your little game is, uh, or as they say in French, say, nous sommes malheureux, coast de cette... Uh, yeah, just a moment. Hey, what's the word for game? Little game. Uh, just, uh, jouet. Jouet is a word to play a game. Yeah, yes, yeah, so. Jou? Jou? Well, I, I think little game would be, a diminutive ending would be jouet. And I knew some of it, uh, just a minute, isn't she another one of your candidates down there? She's going up against our man in Northumberland, don't you? No, no, I, 
glad you stopped. Oh, Pauline, it's just a coincidence. I don't like the way I... I thought we were going to have a little bit of... Who is speaking here? I thought we were going to have a little truth. I mean, I think you're slipping in some political... I am not. I'm trying to give you proper French words. Now, give me that for a second. Uh, hello. Uh, do some... Uh, yeah. uh, what's, what's the word for disappointed? I think it's... Uh, do some... Ca- that's one of your Toronto candidates. Yeah, well, if you can throw in the name of Pauline Jewett in there and Walter Lang, uh, just a minute. I uh, hello, hello. Uh, <clears throat> new, new sums, uh, new sums of Pickers, Gill, and Martin. Eh? Uh, give me that phone. Hello, new sums, Camp and Hees. Who is uh, this? Uh, wait, hello? new sums of Pauline Jewett. Hello. Uh, and and uh, and uh, Mit- and Mitchell, Mitchell Sharp. Uh, Are you a couple right. of drunks? I'll talk that. New sums, Parsons, a a Alvin Hamilton. Ah, Max Ferguson, what an icon he was. Let's bring things to a close with a song by Giselle McKenzie called Jelly Bean. Never thought life could be so thrilling Never thought life could be so sweet Never thought I could be so willing Baby, you sweep me off my feet Oh, pain, oh, agony Oh, what you do to me Oh, pain, oh, agony No one of me, Jelly Bean No one of me, Jelly Bean Never knew one so fast with kisses Never knew one who lost less time Never knew one romance like this is Oh, what a lucky person I'm Oh, pain, oh, agony Oh, what you do to me I say to Joe and Harry, Johnny will tell me I'm a dope. Mama will say I'm too young to marry. Maybe we'd better just elope. Oh, pain, oh, agony. Oh, what you do to me. Oh, pain, oh, agony. No one I mean, jelly bean. No one I mean, jelly bean. That's it for this time. I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking. <laughs>